Well, good morning. Um, I think you all know me a little bit by now. Um, and I, there's something I've said several times. So whenever I was a kid, uh, there was always one thing that I wanted to be. Um, you all remember that? I've said it several times. Some of you are like, no, Jerry, we just don't care. That's fine. I get it. Um, but the one thing I've always wanted to be was a dad. Uh, like from the, t- the only thing I ever remember wanting to be, like as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a dad. And I've got that four times. So I'm a very blessed man. Like I've got more than I asked for, honestly. Um, so take that how you will. Uh, <laughs> So I've always wanted to be a dad, and I've got that four times, which is fantastic. I love being a dad. But if I had a number two desire, if there was anything that was number two that I can think back on my childhood and think this is what I always wanted to be, um, please don't laugh too hard whenever I say this. I always wanted to be a professional basketball player, okay? And I know you could laugh at that. Um, But that's because there are some obvious hurdles for me. Like, there are some obvious hurdles for me becoming a professional basketball player. Um, and just so you know, like, I w- even in high school, I was like a mediocre player on a, on a pretty decent small school team in northwest Missouri, okay? So I'm like bottom rung, okay? I am not a good basketball player by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so there were some obvious hurdles for me to overcome if I ever wanted to play in the NBA. One of those was, well, I'm six foot two. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's not short. You're right, it's not terribly short by the average standards. But if you look at the average NBA player, I'm a short guy. Um, I'm a little guy. The average NBA player is actually over six foot six inches tall. That's average, y'all. So I am well below average. And not just that, and I know this is going to be hard for you all to believe. NBA players are stronger, they're faster, and more agile, and generally just more athletic than I am. And again... I know that's hard for you all to believe because, come on. Um, so, obviously being an NBA player, not, it, wasn't ever gonna, it was never in the cards for me. Like, it was never going to happen for me. And I knew that. Actually, what I thought was funny is, as I started thinking about this, um, it wasn't just an NBA player, really. Somehow I had this illusion of grandeur in my mind whenever I was a kid that I was going to play in the NBA, I was going to be a Major League Baseball player, and I was going to play in the NFL. Like, somehow I was going to be a three-sport pro athlete, and I don't know how all that was going to work since seasons overlap so much, but I was going to do it. Um, So that was probably my number two goal. My point is, my NBA career never really took off, never went anywhere. So instead of playing the game, instead of knowing the game like that, um, I settled for knowing about the game, okay? And you're going to see why that's important here in just a minute. Um, And as I wrote this, I realized, um, you know what, let's just ask, how how many of y'all, how many of you in the room have been or are um, teachers, like educators? Okay, y'all are about to be offended. You ready for this? And just understand, my mom's looking at me right now like, Jared, watch it. Because my parents were both teachers for years, so um, I'm about to offend everyone. But have you ever heard the saying, those who can't do, teach? Y'all ever heard that before? Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry for the teachers in the room. Um, and I hope you're not too offended because I know a lot of very capable teachers. So I'll just, I'll, I'll say that like I, product of a couple of very capable people, so 
don't think that I'm just being a jerk. But what I'm trying to get at is I settled for knowing about the game. I settled for teaching the game because I wasn't able to play it myself. I wasn't able to do it. So I settled for teaching. And I got the privilege of coaching some young men for several years. And it was, it was a blast. I, I had fun coaching basketball. Um, and I just remember trying to convince guys that they needed to do things on the basketball court that I couldn't do on my own. I was incapable of doing these things, physically, mentally, whatever. I knew how to, I, like, in concept, I knew what you were supposed to do, but then actually doing it is a whole other thing. So I settled for teaching about the game. Um, I, I, my point is that sometimes we settle for knowing about something rather than knowing something experientially. Um, another example I could give you is... Uh, some of you are Chiefs fans, some of you are not Chiefs fans, whatever. Um, if I said I know about Patrick Mahomes, that's true. Like, I know about Patrick Mahomes. I could tell you some things about the guy. I don't know Patrick Mahomes. Okay, that's very different. Knowing of something and knowing something are very different. Okay? Now, the reason that's important is because that is not the way. Knowing of something, that's not the way that Ruth and Naomi approach their redemption. That's not the way they approached it. See, they knew some things about this guy named Boaz. They knew some things about him. They knew that he was a prominent man of noble character like we talked about last week. They knew that he was this guy from Elimelech's family and that he apparently could and would provide for them. But see, that wasn't enough for Ruth and Naomi. That wasn't sufficient. They wanted to know him in a more profound way. Um, George Schwab, he says it like this. He says, they are not content merely with salvation. They want the Savior. Simply eating his bread and drinking his wine in his house are not enough. They wish to know the Redeemer in the most profound way possible. This is one aspect of redemption. It is about love. It is about espousal. It is about to whom the redeemed belong. But see, it made me wonder then, how many times do we in the church, even as the church, how many times do we settle for knowing of our Redeemer without actually knowing the Redeemer? Y'all tracking with that? We could probably say a lot of things about the Redeemer that we know, facts that we've memorized. But do we really know the Redeemer? Do we know Him? See, the Bible, the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. And really, this, this union between the church and Christ is what marriage itself is supposed to depict, right? If you go to Ephesians 5, you're going to find this whole long, long passage about the church being the bride and marrying then the Savior. Like these two being brought together. And that's what marriage is intended to depict. This union that surpasses everything else. A knowledge of another person that is so intimate that the two become one. And that's what Ruth and Naomi are seeking now from Boaz. That's what they are desiring from Boaz. And it's what I believe we should seek from our Redeemer. It's what we should seek from Jesus. To know Him, not just know of Him. Now, I do want to preface all of this that we're about to dive into by saying that we cannot make, we cannot make God love you. We cannot make Him do that. He does that on His own. You cannot make God come closer. You cannot make God do anything. He is God. He's done all the work for us while we were only poor beggars like we looked at last week. He did all the work. He did everything we needed. But there are some things that we can and I believe that we should do to grow in our knowledge of our Redeemer so that we can facilitate a deeper relationship with Him. As we seek to know Him deeper and more intimately, 
And that's what I would like to look at today is these, these things that we can do, these things that we can do to facilitate this deeper knowledge of our Redeemer, to grow closer to him, to know him more. Would you all stand with me? Let's read Ruth chapter 3 today. Ruth chapter 3 will be our text. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my, daughters, shouldn't I, or my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he'll explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. And she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. She asked, so he asked, Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and, he, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, What happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, He gave me these six measures of barley because, he said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us, how you've shown us how you work. Lord, and you've shown us the things that we are responsible for. So, Father, today I pray that you would help us to see the ways that we can facilitate this deeper relationship with you. God, I pray that you would draw near to us, that you would, you would let us know you more intimately. Father, and I just pray that you would help us to see your word more clearly so that we might be able to know you. Um, Father, you're good for letting us know you at all. Um, that you loved us so much that you draw us in and that we can, we can just be with you. So Father, today I pray that as we study this word, simply knowing some more facts about who you are, Lord, I pray that that wouldn't be enough for us. But instead, Lord, I pray that you would... You would Really build a desire in us for more of you. Not more about you, but more of you. Lord, and let us know you more deeply, more intimately. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, as we look at this, we're going to see these activities for us, these things that we can do to facilitate this deeper relationship so that we can know our Redeemer. Um, And the first of these is that we should follow wise counsel. We can follow wise counsel. Okay, now to this point in Ruth, Ruth has followed Naomi back from Moab, and she has shown that she's a hard worker. And we talked about that some last week. She asked permission to go out and meet their needs by gleaning in this field, picking up the fallen grain to feed both Ruth and Naomi. And then it says that she worked all day long in the field with just a little bit of rest in the shelter. So she's clearly a hardworking young woman. And here, Boaz takes notice of her. While she's this poor beggar, she's out in the field just trying to make enough to get by. Boaz, this redeemer, he notices her. So he tells her to stay with his workers and in his fields. And Ruth does. She sticks close to Boaz and to his workers. She knows that she has safety and security there. She knows that she can make enough to at least provide for her and for Naomi. But then in verse 1 of chapter 3, here we find Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, where she says, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you'll be taken care of? Now, we determined a couple weeks ago that Naomi genuinely cared for Ruth. She genuinely cared for, for Ruth. Okay, um... Back in chapter 1, they wept together multiple times, just thinking about separating from one another. They wept together. So clearly they cared for one another. And not only that, there are multiple times, even in today's passage, that, that Ruth is called my daughter. Like she says, you're, you're, you are my family. So she clearly cares for Ruth. And now she wants to make sure that she's going to be cared for moving forward. She wants to be make, make sure... And by saying, shouldn't I find you rest, here's what Naomi's saying. She's saying, shouldn't I find you a husband? That's what she's saying. She's saying, shouldn't I find you a husband? Because if you remember back to uh, last week, we talked about how in this society, women really had no standing. They had no ability to hold property on their own. They had no safety, no security if they were by themselves. If you wanted safety, security, property, if you wanted anything at all, they needed to have a husband or a father. They need or a son. They needed to have a man that could support them. That's what they would have had to have to have anything in this culture. So Ruth and Naomi, they had no rest. They had no comfort. They had no security. For them to have rest, it means for them to marry. And this is what Naomi really wanted for her daughters-in-law all the way back in chapter 1, verse 9. She's here, she's trying to send both Orpah and Ruth away back in chapter 1, verse 9. And she says, May the Lord grant each of you rest. In the house of a new husband. So from the very beginning of this book, rest and marriage are intertwined. For Ruth and Naomi to have rest, it would mean to have a husband. And I think it's funny. She says, hey, we need to get you married. And the very next words out of her mouth, in verse 2, she says, Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? Now, I think this is funny because I don't encourage family reunion dating services. Um, And in our culture, that's just weird. So please don't do that. But in this culture that we're reading about here today, um, this is an an important tie. Like this is an important connection. Boaz's relationship to Naomi and therefore Ruth is incredibly important. This man, Boaz, he is eligible. He's a prominent man. He's of noble character. And oh, by the way, he is from the family that he needs to be from. He checks off all the boxes. He's got it all. Naomi basically says it like this. She says, you need a husband, and Boaz is the perfect candidate. That's what she's telling her. 
So here she begins to hatch this plan, right? In the last part of verse 2, she says, This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet. Then he will explain to you what you should do. Okay, let's just make sure we're keeping up with what's, what she's saying here. She says, you need a husband. Boaz is the perfect guy. Here's how you get him. Right? Like, tell, tell me if I'm wrong. That's what she's done here. She says, you need a husband. Boaz is the guy. Here's how you're going to go get him. Now, Ruth didn't know. She didn't know how to obtain redemption or how to get, grow closer to this redeemer. She didn't know any of that. She was a foreign girl from a foreign nation who knew little to nothing about the societal norms of Israel. So, she actually, she didn't even know that it was Boaz's field that she originally went out to glean in. She just happened into that field, right? We talked about that. just happened in that field. Now, of course, we know God was orchestrating all this, but she had no clue. She was clueless in all this. So what did she do? She took advice from Naomi. She sought counsel from Naomi, someone who did know these norms, someone who did know the people, someone who she knew had her best interests at heart. Someone who wanted good things for her. And that's who she was seeking advice from. But now, here's the crazy part. She goes a step further. She goes a step further than just just hearing this advice. She actually listens to the advice she gets. Now, that's wild. Absolutely crazy. Now, that may sound obvious to some of you, but I can't count the number of times I've I've had people ask me for my input, ask me for my counsel, only to do the opposite anyway. And I thought about that a little bit and how people sought my counsel for that. Um... But perhaps, just maybe, I've done that a few times myself. Like, my parents should be rolling on the floor right now. Like, I don't know how many times I've asked them advice and I did the exact opposite of what they told me to do. Like, yeah, you seek wise counsel. Someone that you know knows the answers. And they have your best interests at heart. Why would you not follow the counsel that you get? Now, I know that it's a little bit more complicated than that because uh, oftentimes, oftentimes we have multiple advisors who give different advice, which makes it a little bit complicated. But this is important. Don't seek counsel just so that you can do what you want anyway, or don't just seek counsel so that somebody will agree with you. Because I know I've been guilty of that too. I asked one person who I know has the answers, who I know has experienced something very similar, and I asked them for their input. And they tell me something I don't want to hear, so I seek somebody else. Y'all ever done that? I know I have. That's not what Ruth does here. She goes to somebody she knows, has the answers, and has her best interests at heart. And then she does her best to follow the counsel she gets. And that's what she does in verses 5 and 6. Ruth says that she's going to do everything that Naomi's told her to do, and then she goes and does it. Now, if we actually want to know our Redeemer in a more intimate way, seek godly counsel. Like, you don't know how to, how to, where God's leading? Seek godly counsel. But don't just do it so that they might tell you something you want to hear. Do it so that you can actually heed that advice and then do it. Heed that counsel. So as you seek a deeper knowledge of your Redeemer, follow wise counsel. Second, bring your requests to the Master. Bring requests to the Master. Now, this sounds an awful lot like Pray. Um, which is kind of what I'm saying, but we're going to get into that more. So she does what she's told. She goes down to the threshing floor, and sure enough, there's Boaz. Now, this wasn't uncommon at this time. He'd been threshing barley all day. He's down there, and it was important to protect his crop from those who might want to steal it or to do him harm, 
right? And it was kind of on the edge of town typically. So somebody had to be there to protect the crop. And it's his crop. So he's going to be there to protect his own belongings. So Boaz, he's down here sleeping with his grain. And he has some dinner. He lays down, goes to sleep. And Ruth slips in, uncovers Boaz's feet, and lays down. Now, what in the world is with the uncovering of the feet? Okay, y'all know me well enough. It's been well documented that for me, this is a nightmare. Like, this dude has been down on this threshing floor. He's got those things all sweaty and nasty. And now that he's laying there and she comes in and uncovers them? No way. Tie those things up. Bundle them. Don't uncover that. Nobody wants that. No, nobody wants that. <sighs> so, what was I talking about? Okay, uncovering the feet. What we need to do is we need to, here's a good, here's a good principle for Bible study. Okay, the Bible means something. Uh, the Bible, what is written means something. And what we need to try to do as, as, as readers of the Bible is try to understand what the Bible was trying to communicate to its original audience, right? What was the author trying to communicate to his original audience? And here, we need, that means that we need to understand what this meant in this time. Okay? In this age. So what in the world is with this uncovering of the feet? Now, this chapter is filled, and I mean filled, with Hebrew idioms that could be interpreted as sexual innuendos. Filled with them. Um, and some in ways that I have no desire to get into this morning. Um, mostly because I don't think we need to. Um, and this, the uncovering of the feet, could be one of many. To uncover one's feet, essentially, that meant to expose oneself. Um, so... There's a handful of passages I could turn to that use the same word that would prove the point. Um, but again, some of them are far more graphic than I want to get into this morning. So we're going to kind of gloss this just a little bit. But understand, this could be interpreted as a sexual innuendo. All right, so we're just going to keep on moving past this. If you have questions about it, I'd be happy to talk to you later. But while some, some scholars have suggested that there were inappropriate relationships that took place between Ruth and Boaz here on the threshing floor, I don't think we need to come to that conclusion. I don't think it's necessary to make that leap. So, what I do think is clear from this passage is that Ruth is, she's making a proposal of knowing Boaz in a completely open or uncovered way. She's wanting him to stop concealing anything from her. She wants him to be totally open to her. That's what she's asking for here. And she is absolutely taking a risk as she does this. Absolutely taking a risk. Because if she comes down, uncovers his feet, and Boaz rejects her, she could easily be accused of prostitution. And for a young, unmarried woman here with no father around, no brothers around, she is as vulnerable as it gets, that would not end well for Ruth. She is taking a risk by doing this. So she comes down, uncovers his feet, lies down, and in verse 8, it's midnight, and Boaz is startled. He turns over and he sees this young woman lying at his feet. Now, talk about something that's going to get your attention. Think about waking up in the middle of the night, your feet are cold, and you look down, and here's this person you, you're not real familiar with laying at your feet. So he's startled. And in verse 9, he asks a very logical question, right? He says, who are you? Who in the world is this person laying at my feet? But her response has two very significant parts. First, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Now notice, she doesn't say, I'm Ruth the Moabitess. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. She says, I'm Ruth, and I belong to you. I'm not some foreign girl anymore. I belong to you, Boaz. She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Second, she says, take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. 
Now, the reason this is so important is if we remember back whenever Boaz blessed Ruth, back in chapter 2, verse 12, it was God's wing that she came under. It was God's protection that she came over. But now, she's saying, Boaz, you're the wing under which I'm taking shelter. You are doing God's work. Like, protect me. I want to be under your wing. And essentially what she's doing here is she's proposing to Boaz. Right? This is backwards to what our culture says, right? And it would have been backwards to what their culture said. For a woman to propose to the man, here she is saying, Boaz, I want you to marry me. She's asking for his protection. She's, she's saying, take me under your wing. And whenever she says, take me under your wing, it could be translated like it is in the NIV. It's spread the corner of your garment over me. Which is, again, a fine translation. T- put the corner of your garment over me. What she's saying is, draw me near to you. Bring me closer to you. I want to know you more deeply and more intimately. Not just the good things that you can provide. I want to know you. I want to be with you. Actually, if you were to go to a Jewish wedding even today, there's still going to be something very similar to this where, where the groom will take, a, will take a, a, a cloth, a shawl of some kind, and wrap it around the shoulders of his bride, showing that she is coming under his protection, under his care. And that's what she's asking for here. She says, draw me close to you. Let me be under your wing. See, Ruth just asked Boaz to marry her. and She knows she needs a redeemer. She knows she needs protection. She knows she needs provision. That's not directly what she asked for, though. She asked for a husband. Now, all those other things come with it, but she wants him, not the good things that can come from him. She wants him. See, so she goes to the one she knows has the ability, and she asks for what she wants, for what she needs. She goes to him and asks, and how often do we not have, simply because we don't go to the God, to the Redeemer, who has unlimited resources, and ask for what we need? Look, that may sound obvious, but we try and try and try everything we can on our own. And then whenever everything else fails, we're like, okay, God, fine, I suppose I'll come to you. Ruth knows she needs a Redeemer, and she goes to the one who can redeem. Why do we not do the same? It may sound obvious, but this is where we need to go when we have need. So as you seek a deeper knowledge of your Redeemer, follow wise counsel, bring a request to the Master. Then third, trust in the Master's work. This goes right with asking. Trust that he's capable. Verse 10, Boaz blesses Ruth and recognizes her, her loving kindness, her kindness, right? Um, really, it's this word that we've talked about several times here in Ruth, this, word, this Hebrew word hesed. Okay, hesed. It's his loving kindness or her loving kindness, excuse me. Now, this is recognized because she doesn't pursue a younger man. There's a su- suggesting Ruth could have pursued a richer man if she'd wanted. She could have gone after anybody. Like, she's, a, she's eligible. She could have gone after another guy. She could have pursued another guy. But instead, she pursued Boaz. Now, why is this a demonstration of her kindness? Well, she's free by all intents and purposes. She could have gone and found another man. But... She loves Naomi and knows that the only way that Naomi has security is if she goes to a family redeemer. So she pursues him, shows her loving kindness by pursuing Boaz. And in verse 11, Boaz makes this promise to do whatever Ruth asks of him. But the reason, I think, is important. The last part of verse 11, he says, I'll do this since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, this woman of noble character, it's described with the same word that was used for Boaz back at the beginning of chapter 2. 
Whenever we saw that Boaz was a prominent man of noble character, we talked about this word last week, this word ha'il in the Hebrew, meant that they were prominent, powerful, or um, um, brave. It was depicted that. And here, here, this is how she's described. If you read the New American Standard, I think it, it translates this well. It says that she is a woman of excellence. She's a woman of excellence. So Boaz says, yes, I'll, I'll redeem you, I'll pursue you, because it's apparent that you strive to be a woman of excellence. Because you want good. And then in verse 12, we find, though, that there's a catch. There's a catch. Boaz can't just redeem Ruth and Elimelech's property because there's a closer redeemer. Now, what he says is important. He says, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Like, you are redeemed. You have security. You have safety. Then you have those good things. But, he says, I'm going to make sure that you are taken care of. He says, I'm going to ensure that you are redeemed. He says, lay down tonight. I'll make sure that you are cared for. And he promises that he's going to make provision for Ruth and for Naomi, no matter what. Now, we likewise, we we need to hear our master's words, then trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Um, this is what faith is. It's a deep-rooted trust in him, believing that he's not only capable, but that he's willing. See, whenever we have needs, we often bring them to the Redeemer, to the one that has this ability, and then we forget what we prayed for. Like, I don't know how many times I've prayed, and then I, like, the next day I'm like, oh yeah, I think I might have said something about that at one point. And I just forget. But see, instead, why don't we watch to see what the Redeemer's going to do? We believe he's capable, so bring it and then watch for the Redeemer to work. And as you do, you'll grow closer and in a deeper understanding of how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, and you will see him work. So, as you seek a deeper knowledge of your Redeemer, follow wise counsel, bring requests to the Master, then trust his work. Fourth, share the good news. Share that good news. Verse 14 says that Ruth, she laid down at Boaz's feet until morning. She got up while it was still dark, and Boaz sent her home with a command not to tell anyone. Actually, he tells, it's most likely a servant of his, says, don't tell anybody that she was here tonight. Now, why does he say that? Well, because if people find out whether anything happened or not, Ruth could have easily, again, been labeled a prostitute, and that's not going to go well for Ruth. So, Boaz is even looking out for Ruth by saying, make sure that nobody knows she stayed here tonight. So, he's looking out for her. So, for her safety, says, nobody needs to know. But then, he says... He says, give me your shawl. Give me your shawl. So she holds it out, and as she is, it says that he shovels six measures of barley into it. Six measures of barley into it. How much is that? I have no clue. That's the simplest answer. I don't know. It's a lot. That's what we do know. Some have speculated about how much grain this was, about how much a measure was. It really doesn't matter. That's not the point. We know it was a tremendous amount, but the point here is, is that there were six of them. Six measures. Now, he provides for Ruth in this tremendous way, but what this is, what's happening here is he provides these six measures. Is he's foreshadowing the seventh. Now, y'all just, just think with me for a moment about creation. How many days did God work? Six. What happened on the seventh day? Oh, he rested. Now, what are Ruth and Naomi seeking here? Rest. See, what's happening here is the author is foreshadowing what's about to happen. He's foreshadowing that there is about to be rest for Naomi and Ruth. Here, he shovels out these first six measures. These first six. But eventually, there would be that seventh measure, that rest. And other scholars have pointed out 
Uh, the first six are one kind of seed. The seventh would be another. And we'll get to that next week as we see this seed that would lead to our salvation in Jesus. But the lines, this lines up perfect with the six days of creation. Seventh day, God rested. So that's exactly what Ruth and Naomi were seeking. So she goes home to Naomi who asks, how did it go? Or maybe your translation says, what happened? Okay. Um, the Hebrew, you know what it says? She asks, who are you? Naomi doesn't know her own daughter-in-law anymore. <laughs> now, Ruth shows up and she, Naomi says, who are you? Now, what is she asking whenever she says that? What is she really asking? What she's saying is, are you still Ruth or are you Mrs. Boaz? Which one are you? And it's here that Ruth reports everything that happened to her mother-in-law and gives her the six measures. She shares the good news and says that he promised that he's going to make sure that this is tended to. He's going to make sure that everything is cared for. Now, when you experience the deepening relationship with your Redeemer, don't keep it to yourself. Don't just, don't just be like, yeah, uh, okay, it's good for me. It's all about me. Because it's not all about you. I didn't plan that. You don't have to click it. It's okay. You all get the point. It's not all about you. Share that good news. Share the good news with those around you. Whenever you grow deeper in your relationship with Christ, tell those around you. Like she comes home, and what we find is Naomi is just as excited about this as Ruth was. Like she realizes this is good for her too, by connection to Ruth. So yeah, share what happened to you. And what you might find is that it's even a greater encouragement to those around you than it was for you yourself. Share the good news with those around you. So, as you seek a deeper knowledge of your Redeemer, share the good news. And then finally, what I want you to see is that we need to wait and see Him do even greater things. Wait and see Him do even greater things. Verse 18, Naomi's response to Ruth here is is really good. She says, My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for He won't rest until He resolves this today. He won't rest until he resolves this today. And you know what, y'all? I just now realized I didn't, even re- I didn't even catch this as I was studying this. Like, this is just kind of off the cuff. But did you realize he said he, she said he won't rest? They've been seeking rest, and she says on this sixth day, he's going to work. He's going to work for you so that you can have rest also. He's not going to rest until this is taken care of today. Now, This may seem too simple to us. Bring the request, trust he's capable, and then just wait and see what he's going to do. Um, But if you really know what the Redeemer's capable of, if you really know what he can do, trust that he's going to do even greater things than you can imagine. See, Naomi knows that Boaz is capable. Now she knows that he's willing. (laughs) Ruth doesn't need to worry. She doesn't need to do anything else. She needs to trust her Redeemer. And watch and see what he's doing. She's put herself in a position to know him more deeply, more, more closely. And if you desire this deeper knowledge and a closer relationship with Jesus, bring your request to the master, trust his work, and then watch him see even watch and see him do even greater things than what you had planned. See, I don't know how many times I've gone to God in prayer, and I think I have all the answers, and I know exactly what I need so that this will all play out. And I pray the prayer, and I say, God, here's what I need. And he not only does X and Y, but he does something even greater than that to say, look, I know more than you. Like, I know what you need. So bring your request, but then trust that he's going to do it and watch and see the awesome things that God can do. God is capable of doing even greater things than what we can imagine. Now, here's the catch. Sometimes I bring these requests thinking I know everything because I'm a really smart guy. So I bring all these requests to God and I say, God, here's what I want. Here's what needs to happen. And then God does something that's totally different from what I asked. But in the end, I look back, I'm like, wow, God, you were right. 
I waited and as I wait and see what you're doing, like, it was so much better than what I had in mind. It may not have looked anything like what I was asking for, but God, you are so much better. Like, wait and see him do even greater things than what you can imagine. So if you want a deeper knowledge of your Redeemer, follow a wise counsel, bring requests to the Master, trust his work, share the good news, wait and see him do even greater things. So what? Well, let's tie this back to the beginning here. Um, what we talked about just a few minutes ago. Are you satisfied with knowing about the Redeemer? Are you satisfied with knowing things about the Redeemer? And if you are satisfied with simply knowing about him, then I'd like to tell you, I'll tell you pretty much everything you need to know. Everything you need to know about him. Okay, You were dead in your sin. You were unable to change your standing before God. But Jesus showed his great love for us by taking on flesh, becoming a man, living the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. Then he died on a cruel cross to pay the penalty of the sin. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead to show that he had the means to redeem us. Okay. That's what you need to know about the Redeemer. There you go. Now, there's other things you could know about him, and those are all good things, I'm sure. But that's what you need to know about him. He extends that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness to all who come to him in faith and repentance, and this is the most extravagant love that anyone could express to another. And if you're satisfied with knowing about him, there you go. But if you want to know him, like to really know him, then put yourself in a position to know him more intimately by seeking wise counsel, by praying, bringing requests. Really, what I'm telling you is bring your heart to him. Like, bring your heart to him. Then trust that he's going to do the work while you watch and see the good things that he's doing. And then whenever he's revealed himself to you, whenever you know him more deeply, whenever you encounter him, tell those around you. Like, I just urge you, don't keep that to yourself. From my experience, um, there is nothing better than knowing him, right? Than actually knowing him, not just knowing about him. Because I went, I went years with knowing about him. And actually, even after I was saved and I knew him, it was immature. And I thought, well, I just need to know more about him. And I was trying to grow in that knowledge of him, which is good. You should want to know more about him. But that's just a means to an end. The end is knowing him. So, yeah, grow in your knowledge of him, but don't stop there. Let that bring you closer to him. And from my experience, there is nothing better than actually knowing him, experiencing his closeness, knowing his presence. Like, that's the good news. The good news isn't just that we can have better stuff, that we can be healed of of this or that, that we can have a good life here and now. No, how many times, though, whenever we pray, that's all we want. Like, we want better health, we want more money, we want people to be cared for, and that's all. We want the stuff from our Redeemer. How many times do we pray for stuff from our Redeemer? I'm not saying it's bad. That's fine. But is that the end or is that a means to an end? Do we want to know Him? See, I've actually tried to shift the way that I pray from God do this, God do that, God do the other. Instead, it's become, God, let me know you more deeply. God, work in this area. Let me see you work. Let me know your power. Let me experience that. Like, what do we really want? Do we want to know about Him? Do we want the stuff from Him? Or do we want the Redeemer himself. And if you have the Redeemer himself, share that good news. Um, Knowing of him is good. Knowing him is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful that we can know you, not just know about you. Um, Lord, your word tells us in Romans that uh, that you've, you've revealed yourself to all people, 
Um, your divine power, um, Lord, you, your greatness is known just from what you've made. But Lord, we can look at your creation and we can know some things about you. But Lord, I'm thankful that you've allowed us to know you through Jesus. Um, Lord, so for your son, we are not only thankful today, but we are thankful forever. Lord, and if there's a person here that was just satisfied with knowing about you, Lord, I pray that that would be changed today. That you would drive them to a knowledge of you, to who you are. Let them know you experientially. Let them draw close to you. Bring them under your wing. Put the corner of your garment over them. Lord, I pray that they would be changed and that they would know you in this deep, intimate way. Um, Lord, and for those of us who, who would say, yes, I know Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would have a desire to continue to know you more intimately. We wouldn't just be satisfied because we had a taste. But instead, we will want more. Um, Father, so just let us have more of you. And as we grow in that knowledge, Lord, I pray that you would drive us to do what you've already commanded us to do in Matthew 28. That you, I, Lord, I pray that we would have a desire to go and make disciples of all nations. To see other people come into this close fellowship with you where they know you deeply and intimately. So, Lord, I pray that you would stir not only the hearts of those who don't know you. Lord, I certainly pray for that. But I pray for the, that you would stir the hearts of those of us who do know you so that we would desire others to come into the family. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would change our hearts so that it looks like yours. Um, Father, let us know you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.